Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to Listen Money Matters. Live as if you were to die tomorrow. Learn as if you were to live forever. My name is Thomas. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? And what are you drinking, man? Good, man. Just uh, polishing off the other half of the Lost Abbey bomber, which, Mm. interestingly, has, I guess, what would be Adam and Eve in whatever but i kind of don't think it's adam and eve because she has a snake all over her privates okay. i guess for you know pg versions of the bottle he has uh a leaf over his and then there's a lion a llama and a, and a kangaroo or something in the background can so, i see the bottle yeah sure it's it's illustrated so someone really you know I mean, it definitely kind of, looks like Adam and Eve. I bet you that the animals are just there to signify the Garden of Eden because, mm. like, in the mythology, all the animals are there. Oh, they him. are all there. Yeah. I didn't like, know if, like, they were the, the humans were first and then, or I don't know. No, I, I mean, as far as I understand it, because there, there are many creation myths, uh, the garden was created and on one day the plants were created and then the next day the animals are created and then he made man out of the dust mm. and then grabbed his rib bone and was like, I'm going to make a woman out of this. <laughs> and then there you go and then there's the whole snake in the tree and all that kind of stuff so and yeah, the Abby I, I think that is that is definitely supposed to be Adam and Eve there oh okay alright <laughs> fair enough and as far as I know this is where I don't remember but as far as I know at least the way I grew up uh, hearing about it it's like everything was in the garden right? and right. then they were all cast out and that's why the world was populated mm. but I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know things Anyway, uh, I'm drinking my hipster kombucha thing, as always. I don't know what that is. What What, what is kombucha? Well, actually, it's not kombucha. This is a, a probiotic uh, kefir culture. So kombucha, I believe, is fermented tea, Oh, like tea leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt is actually making some in Boulder, and I think I've mentioned that before. This is not kombucha, but it's a similar thing where it's a fermented culture of bacteria turned into a drink. And uh, the one that I get, it's Kavita and it's lemon cayenne. So there's like some mm. cayenne pepper in there. It's kind of spicy. I don't know. I, I like it a lot. So and the cool thing is, is like it's pretty healthy. There's one gram of sugar in it. It's, five it's calories. fermented, you said, right? Yeah. So but that doesn't mean alcoholic though, I'm guessing. No, because alcohol is only fermented sugars. Oh. So if you take tea leaves, um, you know, I'm not a botanist, but I would imagine that tea leaves do not contain a whole lot of sugars. You know, when you drink tea, it's not all that sweet. So mm. if you ferment tea leaves, you're not going to get a very alcoholic byproduct because you're not fermenting a ton of sugar. Whereas if you ferment um, potatoes or apples or any fruit, you're going to get some sort of alcoholic product by that. Hmm. There's more sugars in there. So, yeah. Anyway, we're talking about a pretty cool topic today. So we're, we're going to talk about the difference between the rich and the poor, but not people who are rich financially versus people who are poor financially. We're going to talk about the difference between people who have a rich mindset mm. versus a poor mindset. And, and maybe a bit broader, it's like uh, you may be actually poor, but if you have or are developing rich mindsets you probably will not stay poor. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, also, I th- oh no, sorry again. I was just going to say, I think the distinction is important to make because uh, financially rich is a relative term. Mm. If you are in the countryside of Sri Lanka right now, um, rich probably means 
less money than the average cashier makes in New York City at a grocery right. store. You know, I, I don't know that for sure, but um, geographic location, the country you live in dictates what rich and poor means. You know, mm. a, a poor college student can go over to Southeast Asia and live like a king. But I think the mindset here, uh, the mindset that people who tend to accumulate money versus the mindset of people who tend to not, these are the things that we want to talk about today. And I think that most people who are like super successful or whatever, or whatever you consider rich, won't necessarily have all of them, but they'll probably mm-hmm. have the majority of them. Yeah, I think you know people who are really, really successful are going to have a lot of these, or they're going to fall closer to the rich mentality for each one of these than somebody who isn't. Um, but I think there's a lot of people out there who maybe due to circumstance are financially poor, but they still think this way and it's mm. very beneficial and probably going to lead to very good things in the future. Just as there are many trustafarians and trust fund babies out there mm. who think with a poor mindset Yeah, and they aren't growing their wealth. They may just be born into it. So, so um, go ahead. you, you took some time this morning. And you can, and I actually had come up with a list in in my private notebook, and then I was gonna like merge it in when I thought it was like better, and I was like, well, damn, this is like far better than I'll, I'm gonna make. So just, <laughs> and then you pretty much hit on on most of the stuff that I want to talk about. So we're gonna read what you wrote. We're gonna talk about it, and then also um, we're going to talk after each kind of piece, uh, like what you could do to perhaps move yourself more towards the rich mindset, either in specific actions to take or or just ways to approach problems. And so the, the idea is like, we'll, we'll cover this and hopefully leave you with some of the tools to, to implement them. Mm-hmm. So shall we start? Yeah. All right. The first one, the rich mindset understands that the first goal is to gain a surplus of resources. Then They want to use that surplus to accelerate things, accelerate education, accelerate a business, accelerate the next generation that they're raising. The poor mindset. Wait, can I read the poor mindset ones? Do you want to be the poor mindset? Yeah, I want to be the poor mindset. Okay. All right. The poor mindset immediately sees a surplus as an opportunity for consumption. Yeah. Did I sound poor when I read that? Poor minded? (laughs) (laughs) I I guess so. (laughs) <laughs> yes i don't want to brand you as the poor man but hey that's fine you volunteered so okay um so basically this what i mean by this is everyone has goals right mm. everyone has things they want to do um and to be able to do something you need a surplus i mean think about the dawn of civilization for most of human history we were hunter-gatherer societies and the majority of our time and effort went to getting enough food to survive And if you look at other species that are not human, say like a gorilla, a gorilla spends, I think it's 75% of its day chewing Mm. just to get enough calories because the gorillas don't know how to cook. So they're eating raw food and they have to spend an inordinate amount of time chewing that food to make it digestible and to be able to actually extract the calories. So cooking is a technology or a technique that we developed that gained us a surplus of time. Enabled us to grow such big minds because we're able to consume more resources. Exactly. You cook food, it takes far less time for you to chew it and swallow it and eat it, and now you have a surplus of time. So the reason that I wanted this to be first um, is because of a couple of of tweet responses I got to something I I posted on Twitter maybe a week ago at this point. I saw this video from Gary Vaynerchuk, Mm. and Gary Vaynerchuk is is very on uh, on the whole like train of 
you should work for free. If you want to be a music producer, move to New York City and find a music producer that you look up to and just offer to do whatever, like get their coffee, just get into their circle. Mm. And I agree with that because when you are young and you don't have a whole lot of connections in your industry and you don't have a whole lot of work under your belt, your competitive advantage is your ability to do something for somebody without them having to pay for it. Yeah, That's a competitive effort. advantage. So I, I tweeted that and there were some people who were like, okay, yeah, I agree, but not everybody can do that. Not mm. everybody can afford to work for free. Some people have to work full-time jobs just to provide for themselves, their families. And that is true. That's absolutely true. But that does not negate the value and that does not negate the competitive advantage of working for free and because I, working for free for free is utilizing a surplus of time. Mm. So again, the goal and here is to gain that surplus to, to maybe add on that is that, uh, the, the working for free isn't necessarily like necessarily like the first step in this like scale of how you may utilize and maximize your resources. Yeah. Maybe it's like the fifth or sixth step. Mm -hmm. And so if it's like, well, I can't, because I don't have like the financial resources to work for free, then there are probably a few more steps before that you need to do, you know, yeah. with, with in mind that being the goal, you know, or, or, you know, or maybe you could, you could work paid if you have to under someone who would be a mentor or something. But the, mm -hmm. but I think like the overarching thought is that, or what you're trying to say is in lieu of money or resources, you have time. Yeah, and that's that's one resource. And I do mm. want to I do want to add to this. Every time I say this, I I need to say this as well. I do not think that it is ethical for companies who already have a surplus of money to go out and seek out free labor. Yeah, it's, because it's kinda... you're basically asking for a slave, and that I think that leads to a system of exploitation. Um, mm. But given the current reality of our system and and how things work, if you are the person at the bottom, I think there is. No problem with offering your services for free. That's your competitive mm. advantage. But on a more so, general time or a more general scale here, the whole idea is is gain your surplus. Whether it's mm. you know you're you're saving just a little bit every single month until you have enough money to start investing. You know, let's just say that right now you have a job that makes you five hundred bucks a month, and your minimum your monthly expenses are five hundred dollars. What if you got a raise that got you up to six hundred bucks? okay, the rich person's mindset is I'm going to take that $100 surplus and I'm going to start investing it because now that investment is working for me. The poor mm. mindset is I got a hundred bucks. I'm going to go buy 15 video games and tons of Cheetos mm. because now- or move into you know, a bigger apartment. Exactly, something. yeah. They see it as an opportunity for consumption. And the problem is when you see every surplus you gain as an opportunity for consumption, you inflate your lifestyle and now you have to work harder to maintain it. But you're never creating anything that's now working for you. So if you uh, are listening to this and, and just to maybe like reiterate the poor mindset is someone who's just kind of spending um, and, you know, you don't uh, feel that's you or you're unsure or, you know, I think one way to uh, indicate this and, and Laura actually mentioned this, I think it was a, an awesome idea is that if you have to wait for your paycheck to buy something, it better be something that you absolutely need. Like, mm -hmm. like you, you can't be like, okay, honest, I would hang out with you on Wednesday, um, but I got my paycheck and so I have to go buy some clothes and shoes because like I love clothes and shoes. Well, fine, but maybe you should have an excess of resources before that's a point. Yeah. You know, you should never be rushing to spend. And so one thing that we've 
kind of said across the show is if you want something, um, make a 30 day list. Mm-hmm. So add it to the list. Yeah, I want new shoes. Add it to the list. In 30 days, the time is up for those shoes. And if you still want them and still feel that they're necessary, then you could buy them. And if you don't, you just saved yourself a cost of shoes. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a really good technique for teaching yourself to save money. Um, though it it is not a direct path to actually utilizing your surplus. So don't mm-hmm. stop there. That yeah. will help you save money, but also be asking yourself, how could I use my surplus? And the surplus isn't just money. Maybe the surplus is energy. Maybe mm-hmm. you start working out because that's going to give you a surplus of energy and that's going to let you you know, work on your side hustle at night instead of feeling so tired that you have to watch Netflix and just sit on the couch. Or maybe you're able to go down to part-time hours at your job because you got a raise. Now you have double the time to work on something that you wanted to work on or to volunteer or do whatever. But it's, like, it's all what about- What if you became you know, like a, a cardiac surgeon or I, I don't even know the name of these like super specialized <laughs> doctors that like, I don't know, like operate on hearts or something. Mm-hmm. What if you took your surplus and became a doctor that operated on hearts, which of there are not many. So you could literally plug yourself into any hospital and, and probably earn a significant wage. Exactly. So yeah. It, w- it won't happen today and it probably won't happen for seven to 10 years, but at the end- your time will be worth quite a lot. So that would be like a, a good use of, you know, not directly mm-hmm. trading money for more money, but money yeah. for education, more money. And I think, so this might help ease the feelings of indignation that a lot of people feel towards working for free. Mm. Working for free is really the same thing as going to college or going to night school in the off time after your job. You're paying for that. You're paying to go to college and you're, you're paying to go to a classroom and pay attention and then do a bunch of homework. That is the same thing as working for free. Mm. So if you go offer your services to a music producer and you work for that guy for a year and he pays you nothing, you've just gotten a college education that you didn't have to pay tuition for. Yeah, It's the same thing. So I don't want to see any indignation from people who think you shouldn't work for free. Again, I don't like the systems that exploit and seek out free labor, but view it as a college education. And a tuition-free one at that. Yeah. Okay, so principle number two. The rich mindset seeks to spend their time, resources, and energy on work that continues to pay off long after the effort has been invested. The rich mindset is all about getting a flywheel spinning and building momentum, creating systems that continue to generate value on their own. Poor mindset is about the short-term returns. Hours for dollars. Resources invested without an immediate return are resources wasted. And so I don't know about you. I have never gotten, I mean, like maybe like once I sold like something for profit or I, but really I've never gotten immediate return on, on. Have you, you've you've never had a part-time job? I actually, no. Okay. Fine. I've sold, I've sold, I've sold my hours for many, many years. I guess I was thinking in like a broader sense and look Mm -hmm. like there, there is a, time where that is the only option you have again right? that, that's why the surplus thing is first always mm. keep in mind gain a surplus and i guess i think that helps people like to realize sometimes i got to put in my hours put in my dues i am trading for hours for dollars but that's because i have to and and to put it yeah to put to put it in like a perspective it's not um necessarily what you're doing because it may be uh, due to circumstances or, or again, you're very early on in your journey. So you have not yet made it past 
that stage, but your mindset should not be focused on like your hours as dollars. You should be working to eventually break that connection. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so maybe, uh, you know, you decide you're going to contract on the side, Thomas, and you're going to, I don't know, build websites for people or mow their lawn or whatever you decide to do. And if you as this budding entrepreneur, you could be like, hey, I will mow your lawn or do your laundry or, or whatever tasks you're going to do for $15 an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could say, I can mow your lawn and I can do it for $100. And, and the difference is, is maybe um, the amount that you charge is exactly the amount of hours times your rate. But what happens when you say an, a dollar value, um, you can find efficiencies. Imagine if you could mow the lawn faster and be more efficient or find someone who works cheaper than you or whatever. And yeah. so that you make more money. Whereas if you were $10 an hour, or $15 an hour, and you got it done an hour, you just you made less money or you just sold less hours. So mm-hmm. you can't really break away when they're, they're tightly coupled. Yeah. Or here's another good example. Um, you could go and build websites for clients from scratch. And if you did that, you opened up notepad and you started coding from scratch every single time. And mm-hmm. that is an example of hours for dollars trading. But what if you took some of your time, you took like a week worth of time and you built yourself this amazing boilerplate template that saved you 10 hours of work for every new client you got in the future. So at this point you could find a new client and you could just start from your template and it would take you five hours instead of 15 hours. All that effort, the 10 hours that you put into building that boilerplate template didn't make you any money right away, but it has now created a system that allows you to make money faster, allows you to make the same amount of money and say one third the time. Or in the case of a company like Squarespace, they're not going out and finding clients and then building them a, a website from scratch. They invest their time into building a platform where people can build a website themselves and they just pay monthly. Mm. So this is so, this is a really big thing. Like I think you have to think about this if you're ever going to accelerate your income. So how can how can you like apply this to yourself? So one, I think investing, um, you know, and oftentimes it's like your four hundred one k is a great place to start. Uh, but if you're really trying to um, improve your personal yield, uh, and this is something we've covered on the show, and something Thomas and I are both slightly obsessed with, uh, focus on your personal productivity, build systems so that like, look. When I first started recording this podcast, uh, and I'm sure when Thomas, when you made your first video, it took you an inordinate amount of time and you're kind of just bumbling in the dark and it was ridiculous. Now, Thomas and I, like we have a plan. We know exactly what we're going to do. We batch things on days and we've built all these systems so that we can get more out of our time together and just mm-hmm. out of our week. And so you, you obviously don't start with this, but if you just slowly work towards, I don't know, maybe a to-do list. Um, maybe start putting things on the calendar so you know what's happening in advance. And eventually, uh, you can get more done with the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, the third one is really similar here. So I think this is going to fit into this part of the discussion. Mm. The rich mindset is willing to invest resources with seemingly no reward right away. See, I, I, I love this one. Okay. Um, so I'll let me read the, the, the poor mindset's immediate thought is what's in it for me? 
why pay money to fly to a conference for a hotel, blah, 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 if, if it is not making me money. Yeah. Um, and so similar, but, but, but I think, uh, different in that, um, yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I feel like most things in my life had no clear path to, I don't know, profitability or being, you kind of have a gut feeling and you have to take a chance and try. And, and mm-hmm. it's this whole like risk reward thing. You yeah. have to, my, we, we work with a bunch of people as you do. And I always have this conversation with Laura. She's like, I don't know if they're worth this amount of money or what if they don't do it or whatever. And one, like we have to trust ourselves to vet people appropriately, people that are like mine we want to work with. But I always tell her that they will fuck us one time. They, they will take $200 of our money, $500, $100, $1,000, whatever it is based on the project. And they will, they will not fuck us a second time. And if they were smart, when we try and work with smart people, we will build a relationship together and we'll all make lots of money. And so um, you have to be willing to potentially lose a little bit to make a lot. And this is yeah. comes down to investing in general. The stock mm-hmm. you may invest $100 and the stock market craters tomorrow. Such is yeah. the luck of life. But uh without any risk there is no reward. Well, here here's one example. Uh and this is a made up example, but what if you you're a parent, right? And mm. you join the PTA. Obviously, like you're dedicating time to the PTA. You have to go show up at meetings. You're maybe even volunteering for certain events. And there's seemingly no reward right away. Mm. But maybe like five years down the line, you've been putting in a lot of time to the PTA. And as a result, you have built relationships with many of the teachers and the principal at the school your kid's going to. And because you've built such a great relationship with the principal, they think, oh, I'm going to tell you about this amazing scholarship opportunity I just heard about. And then your kid signs up for it and gets a full ride to college. And you may not have ever known about that. Obviously, that's a completely made up example. Mm. But, you know, th- this podcast is a good example. When I became the co-host of this podcast, I wasn't getting paid. And I was running a full-time business myself already. Like me taking time to do podcast episodes and record for an hour every week. It was time. That was immediately how I saw this. When when I read it, I was like, oh, like Thomas, when we first started working together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, it was like at least a year before we started making enough money for you to even consider like being able to pay me anything. So, and I'll, I'll be honest, like for me, th- getting into this was, it was not a calculated, like someday it'll pay off kind of thing. It was, mm. I really like this podcast. I want to be on it. It would be fun because I think that's like, that's how a lot of cool things end up happening. There's a yeah. passion behind it. But Actually, I want to tell the one story that made me think of this one. Mm. Uh, last year, when the Menfluential Conference was called StyleCon, I paid for the flight and I paid for the hotel, and I was going to be on a panel. They were like, "Yeah, we want to have you on a panel." I wasn't wasn't actually speaking as a solo speaker, but I was on this panel. So I'm benefiting their conference by being on the website and being some name recognition, and you know, spending some time prepping a little bit of material and answering questions but they weren't paying me. And I remember talking with Anna and she's like, why are you doing this? They're, you know, you're doing work for them, but they're not paying you. And it, it comes back to that whole investing energy and investing resources without expectation of a reward right away, because you see the potential for greater rewards in the future. If I go out to this conference and I differentiate myself by being a speaker rather than just an attendee, then there is a greater probability that I'm going to be able to 
network with the people running it. That I'm going to be able to spend you know, time, like I'm going to get more attention from them and I may end up becoming friends with them. Not, which not to mention you're going to get experience mm-hmm. uh, like dumping yourself into scenarios with a bunch of people you don't know and you kind of have to make friends it's like a sink or swim. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have to maybe potentially present and prepare and so you get to work on public speaking. And so it's it's not directly dollar related, but it refines you as a person. Um, yeah. And, and like, I, I think the thing is like it is, and perhaps the problem or maybe what the poor mindset pushes is that like, here we are giving these scenarios and it is really clear in hindsight after the fact, but before you went, you didn't know how the experience was going to go or that you would even get to speak or blah, 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 whatever. And so you have to be willing to maybe discover the opportunities as they present themselves Mm -hmm. by putting yourself out there. Yeah. And I remember that. So there's this guy, Ryan Mickler, he runs an excellent podcast called uh, Order of Man. Uh, I remember talking to Antonio and Aaron, the guys who run the conference, and they, because he spoke last year, he had an actual talk, and they told me, they were like, yeah, he came two years before this, and he was just, he was there, he was putting in a ton of effort, he came, you know, wasn't speaking, and then this year, he emailed and asked if he could speak, and we said, heck yes, you can, because mm. you've been here for the past two years, we know who you are, we got to know you. So, in a world of people out there, Asking that question, what's in it for me constantly, looking for the short-term reward. If you are willing to invest those resources and you're willing to wait, you stand out. Yeah. All right, next one. Uh, yeah, we already did the one. Here we go. The rich mindset seeks to build relationships based on trust, liking, shared values, and mutual respect. People with the rich mindset help others and cultivate relationships with no expectation of anything in return. The poor mindset thinks... I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So, and I, I, think, I think there's like this, this 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 gradual moving through of yeah. this list where every every concept is somewhat related to the last one. So, I was going to say, I think it ties to the one. Pre- you are so clever, Thomas. I, I see you smirk. <laughs> you're like, ah, look how good I am. No, I, I think it's great, and it, it ties back to the the one before this. But um, and so like the I wrote this thing like audience challenge, and this was maybe like my part of my takeaways, but it. It's uh, and, and Laura's is that like uh, it is oh so true when we've talked about it before that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And um, in doing my own research for this episode, there was this thing and it was like uh, rich people hang out with rich people and poor people hang out with poor people. And it wasn't trying to, and obviously everything's in uh, the context of mindset, but they were saying that essentially people who want to learn and are interested in things and are trying new things, pushing themselves, want to hang out with similar people, Mm -hmm. if for no other reason that they will gain insight into what these people are doing, possibly learn new interesting things. It's just, it's compelling. And so um, you should seek things like that out. And if you happen to even be lucky enough to hang out with five awesome people. And I don't know if I've ever in my life had five awesome people at one time <laughs> that, that I even hung out with. Uh, but if you, if you were, you should try and skew towards push yourself to be, be the dumbest one in the group. That's, that's the best spot to be in. Cause you have the most to gain, most to learn. If you're mm-hmm. the smartest in the group, um, you're stifling yourself. Yeah. Um, at the same time though, so th- this is a piece of advice that trips up a lot of students. And I've gotten emails from students asking me if they should ditch their current friends 
because of this piece of advice? Should I, you know, my friends don't care as much about productivity and they're not as ambitious. Should I ditch them? I don't like this piece of advice because I think it gives people the wrong idea that they have to cut those people out of their lives. Mm. And if you do that, like right now, if you're the ambitious one, then you're a guiding light in the Mm. life of somebody who maybe isn't as far along the path as you are. So my personal take on, on this thing is you need to seek out and spend time with people who have the mindset you have, who will make you be the dumbest person in the room. But don't forget your friends. And, uh, you know, don't think that life is such an, you know, ambitious Machiavellian thing that you can spend no time with the people that you know and love. Mm. Like play stupid video games with your college friends, but also have something lined up next weekend where you're at an event with a bunch of people who are going to challenge you. I think it's the thing is, yeah, you need to make time for the, the ones that will push you. And I agree, like, look, you shouldn't, there's, there's this value in having people who knew you when you were young, like mm-hmm. before you were old and boring or whatever. But I, I think, um, I think yeah, friends you, are like you family. Need to, wait, what? I think friends are like family. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to ditch my family. Agree. You know, I'm not going to ditch my friends. I'm just going to make sure that they aren't monopolizing my time if they mm-hmm. don't have the same mindset I have. Exactly. Um, but the, the other dimension of this, this little rule here is let's say you're at a conference and you know there's that one speaker that you really want to meet you really want to talk to maybe just because you really like them or maybe because you're hoping to spark a relationship with that person i think the people out there who are just thinking like i scratch your back i you scratch mine they're looking for like an advantage to be gained by a relationship so they're not going to go introduce themselves to the random person next to them because they don't see an advantage to be gained whereas the rich person is like i just want to build relationships so they're willing to talk to people who are on their level, below them, above them, whoever. They're more humble oh about God. it. So, so not to go like back a uh, 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 line in the list, but um, for in my life, mentors have like I would be uh, not even anything related to as good or whatever as I am now if it wasn't for truly awesome, amazing people that uh, in one way or another took me under their wing and taught me many things and often was the case was that I was doing shit for them or it was it was not a perfect balance. You know, maybe it was that one really great boss or that one professor. Um, but uh, you, you should look, especially if you're looking upwards or to someone that you feel you could gain knowledge and just great things from to go a little bit of the extra mile um, so that that they will want to work with you because I'm mm-hmm. sure they're busy too. Yeah. They have friends and. Exactly. But at the same time, don't be unwilling to talk to somebody who you don't see an immediate advantage, you know? Yeah. Like Anna and I were watching an anime uh, the other day and there's like, <laughs> these are two really friendly characters in an elevator who like waved to another one. And then he was just like, I gained no advantage from talking to you or being friendly from you. So I'm not going to. And I'm just like, <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> and like, if somebody said that, you'd be like, that person's a dick. But yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of us, like sometimes if we're being a little lazy, we think that. We're just like, mm. oh, why am I going to go expend the energy to talk to that person? I don't really know anything about them, but I think if you have that rich mindset, you're going to do it. And, and you know what, uh, to, to that like realm, like, I feel like I've talked to so many people who after five to 10 minutes, I was like, I just threw that five, 10 minutes out the window, gone forever was a waste, but you could only find the gems if you're willing to slog through the shit. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. All right, next principle. The rich mindset understands that its reputation is everything, that trust and respect are earned slowly through hard-fought, bloody effort, and then both could be lost in an instant. The poor mindset believes it can get away with compromising its reputation to make a quick buck. Yeah. And I don't know how much there is to say about this one, but so I, I was, trust I was discussing is everything. It. Well, yes. So I agree. And I was discussing with Laura and I think that um, there are some people and I, I would like to believe that it is a very, very small amount of people that are looking to take advantage that, mm-hmm. that are willing to do things unsavory to make a quick buck, whatever, um, you know, like and say like someone who robs someone else, right? Like there are there is a extremely small amount of people that I believe that just do that versus perhaps circumstance or mm. um, lack of like thinking into the future. So you may do something not with necessarily good or bad intentions, but because you didn't think forward enough it inadvertently is a bad thing yeah. and so i guess um obviously you want to take the high road uh but i think that if you could um think forward a little bit and maybe like do a little bit of like a thought challenge with yourself um you, you could avoid uh compromising your reputation mm-hmm. i remember there, there's a, um, a blogger that i've been following for many many years who has a stellar reputation and most of my undying love and adoration. Is he from Listen Money Matters? No. <laughs> it's a good thing. Uh, so there was one time where he sent an email to his list and I was on his list and he had done this collaboration with somebody else. So he had a link in there and he's like, hey, you can go check out this thing that my, my friend is doing. And I clicked the link and it took me to this page that didn't give me any information whatsoever, but wanted my email. Mm. So like immediately I could feel like this almost like pain of betrayal. I was like, mm. usually you send me things that are so valuable and I, I feel like that I can trust you. And basically anything you recommend, I would, I would buy it because you're awesome. And, but this thing is like, obviously like there's no value on this page. There's just this person asking for my personal information and I don't even know who they are. And they're not saying why, why did you decide to do this collaboration? And it, you know, it hurt that person's reputation in my mind. Mm-hmm. And he sent that to many, many people. So since then I have lifetime. not seen anything from that person that has been similar. And, you know, I think that it has recovered because it wasn't a very bad thing. It wasn't like, Hey, here's some online Viagra discounts or yeah. something like that. But you know, even something as seemingly harmless as that, it hurt their reputation in my mind. And that was a reputation that had taken them years and years to build up with me and with the rest of their audience. So you you can do stuff that will tarnish your reputation in an instant because people hate having their expectations betrayed. I think that is one of the core, like fundamental um, features of our brains is like we we want to we we are, we get situated and habituated to certain you know ways that the world are, and then when they are betrayed and it causes a loss or something bad, we react very, very violently against that. Yeah. So, you know, just do whatever you can to never do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The rich mindset knows that the world isn't fair and deals with reality swiftly, humbly, and practically. It knows the world owes it nothing, that the universe is indifferent to its existence, that the default for life is suffering and death. 
All successes are improbable and should be appreciated as such. The poor mindset is consumed by the unfairness of the world and wastes time complaining about it. It feels the world owes it something and waits for it to be handed out. The world owes you nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. I mean, we are on the one tiny pale blue dot in which improbably life happened to first come into existence and then evolve into a ridiculously complicated species that can actually psychoanalyze its own mind and actually expect things. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. And uh, what's even crazier is that if you're listening to this podcast, you are one of the very few individuals in that species that has enough money and lives in a society that allows you to get an iPhone or a computer and listen to people from possibly across the planet tell Mm. you things. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, So anything the world owes you, if it ever did owe you anything, has already been given to you. And as unfair as it seems and as as, as tough as it is when your expectations are violated, you have to realize that the default state is suffering. Like if you read history at all, that's like the default state of life is, is some sort of hardship, some sort of suffering. And if you're not experiencing that, you are lucky. You know, the, the only thing that I think that is more prolific than success stories are the ones where people found success and then lost everything. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I was a hundred millionaire. And then after a series of really, really dumb decisions, my dad had to lend me $4,000 so I could, <laughs> I don't know, eat. And Did that I think happen? it come. No, no, not okay. for me. Uh, and uh, there's stories like there, James Altucher yeah. has a story like that. And mm. uh, Ray Dalio, I'm a huge and I'm not he definitely wasn't dumb, but he made a huge mistake. Um, and it actually ties into this. And he writes about in his book where he, he was the one who actually borrowed four thousand dollars from his dad. OK. And it, it comes down to um, use the word humbly. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me. Uh, I, the biggest life lesson I ever learned was being in Lehman Brothers at the ends where I had never been with a group of smarter people in my life in a company that was more well-funded. I mean, it was like a super wealthy company. We had every tool we could ever imagine. If we wanted something, they got it. We, there were like parties. It was ridiculous, but everyone was so smart. And knew that they were so smart and Mm -hmm. knew that they were so right that they couldn't see the forest for the trees. And uh, everyone knows what happened to Lehman Brothers, that they no longer exist. And it comes down to, uh, I think like you can uh, say that you went out and you built everything that you, you know, and, and you did like Thomas, you went and you built this whole website, this company, and you have people working for you and whatever, or, you know, someone who went and got this job, they're a doctor, they did all these things, but it, like the work that you do is creating the, the potential for opportunities. And then there has, to, there's like some amount of luck that yeah. happens where the opportunity comes to you, where like you did all this work and you prepared and then all of a sudden the best job for blah, blah, blah surgeon opened up and they asked you. Mm-hmm. And that was luck, but you did all this prep to get there. And so I think you need to appreciate that when good things happen. And if you don't, you have to appreciate the effort you put in and then perhaps try and understand why. Yeah. And I always try to remind myself that the only reason I was able to do what I've done is 
because of many advantages that were given to me. I mean, mm. from the the good roads that I was able to drive on, you know, and, and yeah. my parents having a car they could sell me and being able to get a scholarship in college that gave the me the country time. that you were born in. The country I was born in, like there, there are advantages everywhere. So I think people who have the rich mindset are consistently humble. They're consistently grateful with, for what they have. And when there is a setback, they think back to those things. They don't think, oh, this isn't fair hmm. because there is no such thing as fairness. You know, because I think kind of and what you said in, in the rich mindset is that be like the world is conspiring against me and like. Yeah, damn right the world is conspiring against you. It's conspiring against me. It's conspiring against everyone. And it is generally a shitty place. And it's up <laughs> to you to like find that path that um, isn't shitty. Mm-hmm. Someday that cat behind you is probably going to try to eat you. <laughs> That's right. She's a predator. She's waiting for the right opportunity to eviscerate me. Yeah. And when she's extracting your liver from your still alive corpse, you should just be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> For the swift death that my cat gives me. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The rich mindset celebrates the successes of others. It embraces the competition and often befriends it. The poor mindset feels jealousy and bitterness about the success of others. It looks at everything as a zero-sum game. So when I was in middle school, I learned about this thing called the mercantile system. Hmm which is, uh, I guess, Go the system on. of business that they used back in the age of exploration. And I remember my teacher talking about how like everything was a zero-sum game because if somebody else got that new client or somebody else was able to you know, ship goods to that particular port or lock it down, you couldn't have it. Mm. Uh, and in some industries, there literally is a zero-sum game. Yeah. But in many industries, and I Most. think more than people would expect, um, the amount of value that can be generated is potentially limitless. Or if it does have a limit, the limit is so high that all the players in the field could never reach it, even if they combine their efforts. And often when they do combine their efforts, they're able to do something better. So you know, going back to that, um, going back to that influential conference, hmm. the whole reason that conference exists, which now it had 450 people attending it. Um, hmm. it, it is my favorite conference because it is like, it's a place, it's like my one time of the year where you get to be in a group of 400 guys who are just like all focused on having their lives together in every dimension. Many other conferences I go to are focused on business. This is the one I go yeah. to that's focused on how do I be a better man? And I like that a lot. That conference wouldn't exist if Aaron and Antonio had not decided to become friends. So Antonio at the time, I think was a smaller creator than Aaron, reached out to him and they were competition. Like, Obviously, if you go to YouTube and you search how to tie a tie, both of them want to be number one on there. So they could have seen it as a zero-sum game, but they didn't. And now they both have grown their businesses exponentially. They both promote each other's stuff. They both can make the same video and they're still going to get a ton of views on it because it turns out there's like a billion people out there who don't know how to tie a tie. Yeah. And they were able to make this event. And there's this crazy thing where like we have we have the internet and there are over 3 billion people connected to it and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you need to make a website but the the act of 3 billion people being connected uh there there is a more than enough opportunity for everyone and i think at the end of the day yeah. you can't be everything to everyone and uh if you're not to that to someone but you could send them to someone who is what they need at least you provided value there mhm Absolutely. You know, so if you're on a basketball team or something and like there's another point guard who's better than you, 
don't be jealous of that person. Befriend them and maybe they'll tell you the things that they're doing in practice that helps them get better. Yeah. I think in any situation, your competition is going to be your best teacher. So it I absolutely pays agree. to be friends with them. And again, I think the takeaway here is just trying to find a mentor and mm-hmm. perhaps uh, you know, like there's this concept of a mentor where it's like this one person who is like bestowing, it's like Aristotle is your mentor and he's like teaching <laughs> all the things that could ever be taught. But what's more likely the case is you meet Arist- Aristotle's estranged uncle who's also still really <laughs> smart, but he knows like two or three things. So he's like a very narrow mentor and you may yes. wind up having, you know, eight mentors in your life, not as powerful as, as you know, that one, but mm-hmm. you get a broad set of views as well. So, yeah, I think all of my mentors are narrow mentors. And the other interesting thing about mentors is your mentor may also be your mentee Mm. because your peers who each have your own expertise and you're sharing it with each other. So I would say, Andrew, you're my mentor in certain dimensions. Uh, I was going to say financial dimensions equal relationship where like I'm very strong in this set of areas and weak in, and it we're almost converse in that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So like you're a mentor to me in certain areas. And then I guess I'm probably a mentor to you in a different area. So you don't have to go find that old man, Mr. Miyabi or whatever his name is, or Mr. <laughs> Miyagi. Uh, it could be somebody who is also a peer of yours. All right. The rich mindset understands that it can never know everything and that something can be learned from every one. The poor mindset deludes itself into believing it knows everything and that opposing perspectives are wrong before ever hearing them. And I think this, and I, I, I so don't want to talk about politics at all, but I think it generally describes this awkwardly terrible climate that we are in right now yeah so that was that was one of the main thoughts i had when writing this one is whether due to social media or me or the media itself or whatever we i think we've tend to like built these bubbles for ourselves mm. where there's just a whole lot of like self-congratulations and indignation at the other side and like you don't have to expose yourself to the other side anymore but i think that one one of my foundational beliefs in life is that conflict improves humans Uh, and obviously like there's, there's a certain, you know, threshold where it gets bad. Like if you die in conflict, then you're dead. But, um, you know, like when you lift weights, you're going to battle, you're actually tearing down your muscle fibers, Mm. but that actually makes them better. And when you expose yourself to other viewpoints, it challenges your own and you'll either change your mind if you realize your viewpoint sucks or is incorrect, uh, or it will help you to better understand your own viewpoint. So, so, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say there are so many famous people that that are idolized, you know, and like Steve Jobs being one of many that uh, famously took really hard stances in a direction and then changed their minds. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people feel like, well, I've taken the stance or I've said this or this is how I feel. And then to change my mind would make me a hypocrite. And I think... Uh, to, to adapt or to have that mindset, it's it's a poor mindset because um, you are going to be wrong like half the time of your entire life because yeah. you just never will have all the information. Um, maybe you think about things in a skewed way based on your life and your perspective. So if new information is provided, you should be able to change your mind. Mm-hmm. And so 
and, and by changing your mind, it's not like, oh, now I'm just on the right side of the argument. By changing your mind, you are then able to make better decisions in your life for whatever it is you choose to do, build a career, build a business, family, whatever. So you should seek to put yourself in areas that you're not experienced in and you're uncomfortable um, mm-hmm. because you might accidentally learn something. Isn't it funny how we look back on the beliefs of our ancestors as so quaint and hilarious? Like uh, <laughs> doctors thought that putting leeches would suck the bad blood out of you. What the heck? Yeah. But then we're, we're so unwilling to, to entertain the notion that our hard stances that we believe in could potentially be wrong as well. You know, you know it's hilarious. Our kids will look back and they're like, you were all just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like there, there were almost no good decisions that you made, but at least they, they learn. And uh, at least you got us here. Yeah. And, okay. And I kind of want to say this as an example. You know, I, I don't think it's political, but there's like this whole thing on gun control. And I feel like when I was in high school, uh, it was like abortion and gun control were like two topics that were controversial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you could choose to pick a side on one or write an essay on one. And here I am like 20 something years later. And it turns out abortion and gun control are really controversial. So maybe maybe they always will be. <laughs> but if you are against gun control or abortion, you should go and read some well thought out arguments for gun control. Mm-hmm. And if you're for gun control, you should go and read out well-thought arguments against it. And you know what? If after reading it, you, your mind isn't changed, that's fine. And maybe you're on the, the, the right side of the argument. Who knows? But like the worst thing that will possibly happen is that you'll learn something. Yeah. I had somebody comment on one of my podcast episodes on the YouTube version yesterday. Uh, and his question was, Thomas should I read philosophy books? I'm afraid that they're going to make me doubt my religious views. (laughs) And I just responded, if you're afraid that philosophy books written by fallible humans are going to make you doubt your religious views, which are supposed to supplant the human realm, then perhaps you're already doubting your religious views Mm. and you simply believe in them in a way that has been called belief as a tire where you kind of wear your belief as an identity because you're afraid of casting huh. off that identity for whatever reason. Maybe you're going to be ostracized in your community or maybe you're afraid of what kind of person you're going to be if you don't have that identity. But if you're too afraid to read opposing viewpoints, then your belief is just that. It is belief as attire, as identity. It is not actually a true belief. So I say expose yourself to as many you know opposing viewpoints as possible. I like that belief as a tire. I, mm-hmm. I actually, I would almost venture to say that most beliefs are, are more towards that realm than towards like this core burning something inside you. Absolutely. Uh, because humans are tribal and humans like to adopt an identity. Mm-hmm. And when you adopt an identity that comes with a specific set of beliefs, many of which you have never had the time or the inclination to truly challenge. You just said, this is a subset of my identity. Therefore I believe it. So, um, my favorite mathematical formula in the world is Bayes' theorem because it's all about. Go on. <laughs> yeah. So people can look this up. Um, it's like a, it's like a mathematical representation of what rationality should be. Mm. And it's all about taking your priors in this case, your prior beliefs, and then plugging in the new information or new observations that you have gathered and seeing how much precisely that shifts your beliefs. So, this is why I think it is totally okay to be a flip-flopper as long as you are flip-flopping based on 
observations that should shift your beliefs in a certain degree. Obviously, you shouldn't be the kind of person who just flips to the perspective of the last person you talked to. But if the last person you talked to presented a compelling argument and you realized that actually challenges my view of the world and is more congruent with what I think is true, change your opinion. And you know what? Um, if you flip flop, you risk being classified as a re- as being a reasonable person. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, you also risk being classified as a flip flopper. But yeah. you're being classified as a flip flopper by people who are stubborn and whose opinions are going to be outdated. And so yours maybe are not to going jump to back a few things, perhaps <laughs> the people who are considering flip floppers are the ones that you do scratch off of your top five list. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they may be they may be toxic relationships. Yeah. Okay. The rich mindset understands that it cannot do everything and that even if it could, it would create greater value by focusing on its core strengths. It knows that the right team is greater than the sum of its parts. The poor mindset deludes itself into thinking that it can do everything if it just works hard enough. This is probably the area where I most identify as having a poor mindset mm. because I, I do want to do everything. I mean, I think we, we were just talking about I want to be a YouTuber and an author and also redesign my website and do all these things. And even if I I could do them, it would, it would not end up as good as if I found a talented designer and gave them the reins, you know? So, uh, I think when we all start out, you know, whether it's in life in school and work and business, whatever you, you are doing closer to everything. And if you are progressing, um, you're probably niching down and you're becoming, you know, maybe you were a doctor and you did your residency and you fixed broken toes and you bandaged eyebrows and whatever. <laughs> but at the end, when you're super specialized, you only did surgery on hearts or what, whatever the super sp- brains or something. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you're, uh, you're, you're focusing on what you're good at. And then, so, uh, there was this example that I was explaining to Laura that she didn't like, but I want to give it and maybe hear what you think. And it's this, um, thought of like, uh, mowing your lawn or, or maybe, I don't know, replacing the sink in your bathroom. Um, something that, uh, a bunch of YouTube videos, maybe a few beers and a lot of hours. You could certainly do. Neither are exceptionally challenging, but based on your time, um, potential risks, whatever, maybe it is better, your your time is better spent doing something else or playing or sleeping. Yeah, no, that's a great point. The example that was always given to me is uh, LeBron James is a world-class athlete. Mm -hmm. So he can probably mow his lawn better than you can. That's true. LeBron James is wasting his time if he mows his lawn and you're going to do a good enough job. And I read that LeBron James sleeps for something like 12 hours a day, um, which I totally believe because he is constantly, you know, consuming all his energy. So he Mm. probably should be, it probably pays for him to be sleeping instead of mowing his lawn, not to be like, you know, whatever, but. And I, I think, so that is a thing you have to accept when you're starting to say hire people in the beginning people you hire probably aren't going to create as great of the work as uh, you could create, but because you're giving them the ability and the opportunity to focus on it, and that's an opportunity you can't give yourself, eventually they're going to outpace you, Mm. which is great. And look, this is like if you're a manager in a company, if you're running your own thing, whatever, like, and there's this thought like, um, 
so there's this there's this task of I don't know attaching two widgets together, mm-hmm. and you can do it in thirty minutes. And and you anyone you bring in, the best I'm able to do it is in two hours. And you're like, well, why would I ever have this person attach these two widgets when I could attach multiples when they could just do one? And the point is, even though it takes them longer. One, they will get better from doing it. But two, you still don't have to attach them for 30 minutes. You could then do yeah. something else. And so there's the only way to eventually scale and move upwards is to do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you always manage your personal finances, you know, and your wife or husband is not super into it and whatever, and you slowly bring them in. Eventually, they should help because then yeah. you could look to the next thing. Remember that your income grows, but your time never grows. Yeah. So all you can ever do is is reclaim the time that you do have by outsourcing the things that you're doing. Uh, my mom never let us do laundry when we were growing <laughs> up. And my dad would constantly say, you need to have the boys do their laundry. But she's like, no, I have a specific way I do it. I do it better than they can do it. I don't want to have them do it. So 18 years of doing my laundry, she had to do that. And had she taught me how to do it, I would have sucked at it at first. And mm. I probably never would have been that good at it because when I was a kid, I didn't want to do my chores. And my mom is an insanely hard worker and will always be better at laundry than me. But after a few times, I would have had the knowledge to do it myself and she would have not had to do it at all. Who cares if it takes me twice as amount, amount of time? Because the, the, the twice amount of time is not time she's experiencing. Yeah, She's off doing whatever she wants. Though the one caveat here I want to put out there, and I think this serves to illustrate that these mindsets require um, modulation and balance. I'm reading the foreword to a book by Jordan Peterson right now, and the guy writing the foreword, I think he's the guy who wrote The Brain That Changes Itself. He noted that um, when you look at the philosophy of Aristotle, the virtues are typically things that are balanced, whereas the vices are typically in the extreme of something. And I think that when you take a philosophy or you take a rule of life like this and you take it to the extreme, it can become a vice. Mm. So let's use this one as an example. If you think I need to focus on just the thing that I'm good at, maybe you're at a point where in your life where you don't have the money to outsource the other things you're doing effectively. Or maybe you're going to become so specialized that you're basically useless in all other areas. And I personally believe that a human being should be somewhat well-rounded in certain areas. Like a human being should be able to cook for themselves, should be able to change a light bulb. And, you know, they should be somewhat physically fit to whatever degree that they have the ability to do. So, you know, don't take a rule like this and be like, Oh, I'm a web developer. That means I need to sit in my chair and do nothing but web development ever. Mm. And, you know, I'm going to tell my wife, those guys in that podcast said I have to specialize. So I'm never cooking again. You're now my slave. No, like, you got to do some worth, things. We we both wear a lot of hats. And yeah. if you look to like, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg, I'm sure the dude wears like every hat possible. He's like in and out of all. And that happens. But you, he also has to allow people who are firm to do their job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing to, to maybe add, and I don't know if you've read the book Essentialism. Yes. I, I we did a whole uh, episode on it on my podcast. Yes. And I, I'm obsessed with it. Um, I think I think it is a good start to maybe – um, framing a lot of these things because yeah. one is like, you know, allowing other people to do things. And then there are just some things that nobody should do that mm-hmm. like maybe could be done, but you should just leave it. And so 
It's a good book yeah. that helps. It There's helped a, me the a whole, lot. Uh, the whole framework that's like do, delegate, delete, or automate mm. for any task. Like you don't have to do it all. Some things you can get rid of. Some yeah. things you automate. All right. Uh, the rich mindset embraces competition and knows that iron sharpens iron. I, I love that. Um, poor mindset is discouraged by competition. It complains that, quote, someone already got there first or that they've obviously got a cat or I'm sorry, or that they're obviously going to catch up to me. I might as well quit now. Um, and I just have to say, like, I, tr- I attribute, I want to say, like, most of my life success in any, like, general area to just the war of attrition. Because mm-hmm. I'm a stubborn motherfucker and everyone else <laughs> gives up and I just keep slogging along. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I was reading a book by Seth Godin called The Dip. And mm-hmm. we did an episode on that one as well. Uh, but one of the stories he tells is that uh, you, to illustrate the idea that the people who press on in the dip, which is that really awful time that you know you need to go through to get to a rewarding period in your life, um, the people who press onward are going to outlast the people who don't. So the idea is, or the story was uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid running away from the posse. And mm. he didn't stick to the open terrain. He didn't stick to the roads. He tried to press into the mountains and the forests as much as he could because he realized the deeper and more difficult the terrain I get into, the less likely they're going to be able to catch me because mm. eventually one of us is going to quit. And if I'm not the one who quits, then they're going to quit first and I will get away. <laughs> and that is the mentality you have to have in, in business or in your job or in a sport that you're doing. The person who doesn't quit and the person who doesn't d- get discouraged by the competition and quit because of that is the person who is probably going to win. There's a zillion. In fact, uh, did you did you watch the movie The Founder? No. That was a really good movie. It's about Ray Kroc, the guy who kind of founded McDonald's, more like stole <laughs> McDonald's. But in one of the very opening scenes of the movie he's in this hotel room and uh his life before running mcdonald's he was like this milkshake mixer salesman and he sucked at it like they were barely selling enough to make ends meet so he's just in these hotels in these small towns dealing with rejection at the end of the day and he he has this record with him of this motivational speaker just talking and he plays it every single night and um the motivational speaker just basically says there's heaps of talented people who never made anything of themselves because mm. they quit. You know, there's heaps of people who had all the advantages in the world bestowed upon them and they never used them. It's only the people who are persistent that succeed. Mm. And uh, he illustrates it in the movie. He's like, how, how does an over the hill, 55 year old failed mixer salesman become one of the most successful businessmen in the world? It's persistence. Yeah. And it's dealing with the competition. So look at your competition as an opportunity to improve yourself. Remember, iron sharpens iron. You're going to get yeah. better when you see somebody doing something better than you. And and you are different. And and even if you are tempting to say, oh, I'm just going to copy everything that Thomas does or everything that – it's just going to be different because you are different. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it would be – it's like almost ridiculous to say, but like, it wasn't like Lady Gaga was like, oh, there's Madonna. Like, I can't be this like power female singer uh, with a thing named after me because it's done before. And it wasn't like Taylor Swift was like, oh, my God, there's Lady Gaga. And it turns out that people still listen to all these artists, maybe multiple of them, because they're different in some way. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, just one more thing, like, and I think this happens a lot with people who want to start businesses because they're like, this has already been done. Um, Listen Money Matters was super late to the scene. There was how many thousands of blog, podcast, whatever's before us. Many yeah. sold for millions of dollars before we even started. Um, yet somehow there was still space for us. And honestly, if you want to create a personal finance podcast website, there is certainly space for you. Like, you can do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you there's know? 3 billion people out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's more than that, but at least that much on the internet. Exactly. Yeah. All right. The rich mindset quits strategically. It plans to quit in advance when it realizes the potential gains of a pursuit are either unreachable with the current resources or aren't worth the pain of the work involved. The poor mindset quits in reaction to pain and short-term discomfort. So this one was inspired by reading The Dip by Seth Godin, Mm. which that whole book is about when to quit and when to stick it out. Uh, You can read it in about an hour. We'll link to it in the show notes and... Yeah, or you can listen to Martin and I talk about it for an hour because I think <laughs> that that will be live by the time this goes live. Um, but yeah, wh- people who, like, oh, let me put this out there. Quitting is not a bad thing, mm. bar none. Because you have to quit things that aren't working in order to free up time to do things that are working. And when you look at businesses that are successful, usually they are successful executing on a long-term grand vision or strategy but they change their tactics all throughout that. I mean, right. I'm sure we've changed many different tactics with Listen Money Matters. Mm. I stopped doing music reviews on my blog for a long, a long time ago. And then you I did music took, reviews for like two years. Oh, There's wow. a bunch of music reviews on College and Vogue Geek. They're kind well, of buried. I've looked through your stats. I don't think any of them get any traffic. <laughs> nope, they do not. Almost none of them do. Uh, so yeah, you, you sometimes you pivot, but Quitting is not something to do when you're just feeling the pain of being in the dip. You're feeling the pain of shoveling shit and just doing what it takes. Uh, quitting is something to do as a planned and advanced activity. I feel like the the most cliche example is like you show up to work. I don't know. Your underwear was on backwards or sideways or something. So you're just like not in it. And your boss is like, hey, Thomas. What's wrong? Is your underwear on backwards or sideways? <laughs> and and then you quit. I mean, happens to everyone. But, because of the but, embarrassment, right? Right. You're like, it's on sideways. Like, oh, fine. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the point being, instead of just quitting then because your boss is an asshole, use that anger and that energy to go and find a better job with a less asshole boss. And then when you quit, be like, I'm quitting because they're paying me more. Suck it. My whatever. I can wear mine wherever I want. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the next one is pretty related, so let's just say it now. Mm. The rich mindset sticks it out when the going gets tough, provided that the pursuit is worthwhile. It understands the idea of the dip, that anything worth doing will be hard. It understands the rewards re- no, it understands that the rewards are reaped by those who push through the difficulties of a pursuit precisely because the will to push through is scarce. The poor mindset sticks things out due to stubbornness. It places too much importance on sunk costs. So this is the opposite side of the coin. Mm. The rich people who are quitting strategically when they realize they don't have the resources to meet the end goal, um, like me trying to start the next SpaceX, I don't have the resources to do that, Uh, or that it's not worth doing, 
they quit strategically. But when they find something where they realize that I know I've got the resources, it's a stretch goal, but I can do it. It's going to be freaking hard, but I can do it. They stick with it. And like you said, persistence is the number one ingredient in Mm. successful businesses, successful people at their jobs. Uh, That's the reason that Listen Money Matters is successful. It's you persisted over many years of, you know, not a whole lot of return. Um, But a lot of times people with that poor mindset, they stick it out because I've already invested so much, Mm. you know? And it's that whole thing where it's like, uh, don't put a good thousand behind a bad thousand. You know, you invested a thousand dollars in something and it didn't work out. You don't double down. And and I mean, you have to be willing to cut your losses, which, which essentially what sunk cost is. Mm-hmm. The time that you put in or the money you put in happened in the past and it's already gone. It's already over with. And now you're making a fresh decision with money, time, whatever. Uh, don't throw, just because you put it in doesn't mean you have to put more in. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So when it comes to quitting, ask yourself, you know, is this pursuit leading to something that's worthwhile in the end? If so, that it's, it's probably worth pushing through the dip. Do I have the resources to achieve it? It's probably worth pushing through the dip. If not, then you're probably investing something in, you know, investing your additional time and resources out of stubbornness and it Mm -hmm. may never have a return. Maybe you're in a completely loveless relationship and you've invested so much time and effort into getting your partner to uh, be a better communicator or, stop going out and getting trashed every night and you've been Mm. doing this for months and they are never going to change. This is not a situation where pushing through the dip is going to make them magically become a better person. All the effort you're going to be putting in is never going to amount to anything. So better to cut your ties and find somebody else who's going to be, you know, a better person. Um, But if somebody's going through a, a rough time in their lives and you're investing a lot of effort, that is a dip worth pushing through. And so, so it's really about knowing, um, yeah, when when to stick it out, when to cut your losses. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have made it to the last principle here. The rich mindset understands that there is no I made it, no done. Life is defined by challenges and learning always. The poor mindset believes that one day they'll be able to, quote, retire, to kick back and do nothing. That all work is simply paying dues on the way of a li- on the way to a life of leisure. Ironically, it is also this kind of mindset that stifles the ambition and drive required to ever get to the point of having that as an option in your life. And it is oh so true because, um, and like so the guy who created like Fox News and News Corp, Rudolph Murdoch. Mm-hmm. I don't know, he's like 80 or 90-something. Is it Rupert Murdoch or Rudolph? Ru- Rupert. Mor- what, what did I say? I think he said Rudolph. <laughs> Rudolph Murdoch, <laughs> his his uncle. Uh, the man's like 80 or 90 and he's still working. And there's mm-hmm. like a million – like Warren Buffett is still working. And I guess they're, they're working on things that interest them and it, it winds up not being work. And But that's also why they achieve this massive success. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't want to do the work – um, you'll never get to the point where you don't have to. And no, I guess if yeah. you do enjoy the work, you'll never want to stop. And let me put it this way, because you're listening to a podcast run by a couple of hyper ambitious, ambitious entrepreneurs. Mm. If your ambition is to build a life for yourself where you can retire and you can spend time with your grandkids and you can, you know, volunteer, that's fine. But when you go to work, if your motivation for going to work is simply 
I want to be able to quit and retire someday, then you don't have the mindset of I'm going to build something that is useful to other people. I'm going to contribute to the world and give. I'm going to make the world a better place. So I think that you have to you have to tap into some sort of ambition and drive to create something worthwhile. If you ever want to get to that time when you can retire and hang out with your grandkids, just don't let that be the driving overarching motivation that is constantly on your mind. And and I don't want to like uh maybe confuse the end result with the with the process and the journey because I mm-hmm. think the process and the journey is far more important. And so to yeah. to go to your to what you had said, you know, it's like we're two entrepreneurs and we tend to skew towards business or thinking that way. Uh, the Red Cross is an amazing organization that provides an enormous amount of help, but was started with somebody who was probably just volunteering or doing some very small things in that area and eventually grew into this huge, awesome thing. And such is how many businesses start as some sort of a hobby. And so uh, if there's something that pulls you in, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. So that's how you be rich. Just do those things. Exactly. Super easy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be easier. But yeah, that, that was our list. Uh, this is actually one of our longer episodes. So if you want to read over these, um, if you want to get some extra details or insights, we're going to have show notes as always, mm. listenmoneymatters.com slash show. Uh, or you can tap our faces or swipe or do whatever it is that your podcast app has you do to bring yeah, those show right. notes up. You can read them right in your podcast app. Uh, other than you can that, read it along with us. Yeah. Read it along with us. <laughs> um, I think with this kind of an episode, it'd be cool to hear like people's thoughts mm. on it. So like we are at money matters, man on Twitter. So, and then you can always email us with thoughts and also questions for particular, for potential future episodes or things that you just want to know. Uh, we're listen money matters at gmail.com. A lot of times emails form the basis of episode topics. So Absolutely. let us know what's on your mind. Let us know what you want to know about or what's confusing you or what's got you stressed out, and that helps us make better content. Uh, lastly, listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox is where you can find all of our favorite resources, books that we recommend. I think, is Essentialism on there? I know we mentioned that one. Uh, it should be, and we're like revamping cool. that. So, well, yeah. it, will, it will eventually be on there, and it will be in the show notes at least for this episode. So check that out. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Hopefully you found this episode useful, and we'll see you in the next one. Later, man. Later, dude. Please tell your friends about this show. (laughs) 